because sometimes I drop my voice, and I want you to be able to hear uh, uh, without difficulty. Can you hear me okay everywhere? All those that cannot hear me, please raise your hand. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, it is a joy to be here and a privilege and to have had Brother Mike as one of our uh, workers, co-workers, and Brother uh, Mort as well. And uh, so it's just like an old home reunion here. I see a lot of dear friends I haven't seen for a long time. They probably came out to check out the old boy, see how he's ticking. Thank you for coming. Uh, in addition, they, they were talking about my being here. They said, man, these, this, this tenants is going to go down. Let's do something to beef it up so they have a picnic to beef it up because we can't just... <laughs> Let that thing happen. We've got to have somebody here uh, for additional input. Thank you so much for the picnic. Now, I've known Mike a long time, and as you know, there's nothing Mike wouldn't do for me, and there's nothing I wouldn't do for Mike. So for years, we've been going around doing nothing for each other. <laughs> but we're still friends in spite of that. I want to thank Brian, too, for some of the, uh, the overheads. Uh, not overheads, but some of the uh, PowerPoint. All of it was uh, designed and helped by him, and I want to my appreciation to him for that. You all received a sheet like this, same color, I think, so don't throw it away. I will be with you for four Sundays, which is a great privilege, and we're going to build from Sunday to Sunday to Sunday, and it'll be a great help for your hearts if you do your homework and do this and get your mind in the way and will and the scriptures of the Lord. So that's what it's there for. It's not just, oh, yeah, make an airplane out of it and zip it somewhere. Don't do that. Take that, put it in your Bible every day. Do just one more text. It's not that hard to prepare you for where we are going. Now, having said that, and uh, we're, again, thankful for this church and all it does to support the ministry of Step Up to Life. And I want to rejoice with you and you with me this past uh, two days ago. We just got word, finally, it's taken nine months but our, our translator over in Lebanon has got Step Up to Life into Arabic. And I want to tell you, praise the Lord. Will you bless him? And we have a lot of people going over to Iraq and soldiers, rapid response teams, and, and uh, Arabic-speaking people here. So uh, we count that a real blessing of God. It's a God story, which I can't go into now, how it even happened. But God's fingerprints are all over it, and we continue to bless him for his leading and the giving of the building and Brother Rick Smith, who's the chairman of our board here, and so much of your support and prayers have achieved this. It's not a, there's, there are no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. Believe me, there are no lone rangers. This is a team ministry period. Somebody say amen. All right, let's pray, and then we'll start to see what God has for us today. Building toward the coming Sundays, in which I'll speak about the Samaritans, Entering to the Spirit for life, speak about our Lord Jesus and how he was filled with the Spirit. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Come along. And uh, don't fall by the wayside. And, uh, okay, let's see what God has for us in his wonderful word. It was a good, a good worship time today and some words of direction, not because uh, those who spoke were being uh, personally using this for their agenda. They're trying to convey to you the mind of the Lord for this period of time. So we receive that with graciousness and with gratitude from each and every one of you and my privilege to contribute as the Lord leads. Now let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we don't have any magic in us and nobody else does. Unless the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the watchman, except you keep a city, the watchman wakes but in vain. 
But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Take this fellowship, mold it, remold it, remake it, conform it to the present hour for the present challenge that you put in their hands. And we'll bless you, the great leader and Lord of the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want you to know that before we launch on this series on the spiritual life, that what I'm going to teach you uh, is not in my background. I had a mother who was a Baptist preacher's daughter. My father was a Presbyterian minister, and he pastored one of two evangelical congregational churches in the state of Rhode Island in which I was raised. None of those groups are known for, thy, for their hilarious, charismatic manifestations. <laughs> and if you don't believe it, check it out. Go to any one of those and see what's happening. And secondly, I was ordained Baptist, having struggled my way through infant baptism into what I felt was more scriptural uh, in the adult believer immersion mode. Uh, again, no charismatic Holy Ghost background in this. All of this to show you that if you're in that background, I can identify with you. And one of the great joys I've had in ministering over the years is the Lord let me go through about a year or a year and a half of solid, solid Bible searching because I am a hard sell. I am a hard sell. And I'm not moving. And the, 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 uh, the battle hymn of the Baptist is we shall not be moved, okay? And so I'm not being moved by every wind of doctrine flying around here. So as I went through this uh, painful, wonderful devastating, glorifying search of whether these things are true or not, uh, it brought me to where I am and into glorious freedom. So I can identify with you if you have any fears, if you have any doubts, if you have any questions, been there, done that. So I can identify with you. Thirdly, or fourthly, or fifthly, put in your own point, uh, God is not going to kidnap anybody here. So, if, I, you know, there was a time when if you said the Holy Spirit, I got nervous, just plain nervous. And I'm a seminary graduate, and I'm nervous, because we believe all in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know the Father, Son, we know Jesus a lot, and the Holy Spirit, we don't know very much as a general Christian going through life before the charismatic movement, believe me. And so if you said Holy Spirit, I was kind of easing toward the door already, because uh, we have a trinity, but the other one we don't know about him, but Jesus we're okay with. So I want you to say, wherever you are today, I hope that I can in some way happily, sympathetically relate to where you are. And if you'll follow with me on my path, perhaps it will help you to come into all the freedom that God has for you. Some of you have been taught what I've been going to say already. Praise God. Some of you haven't been taught anything. Some of you have been taught against what I'm going to say. And so I can identify with that. Good and sincere men would uh, oppose some things I've said, but I'll relate my case to Scripture. Again, just because you've been taught something doesn't mean it's true. Teaching does not add truth to a situation. Teaching is merely a method by which you convey certain ideas. Again, what does the Word of God say? We're going to come to the book of Acts, and there have been some sincere people who would try to uh, denude us of the truth of the book of Acts. And some, I talked with one man, he says, well, the book of Acts is to you, but it's not for you. I never figured that out. How can something be to me, but not for me? And so there arose, uh, in, since about 1830, eventually accumulating as it went along, a system of theology called dispensationalism. And uh, dispensationalism tends to take away rather than add. It tends to divide rather than supplement. And may I say in passion, dispensationalism 
which would divide the books up and take away 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and take away some other things uh, in their interpretation. Uh, dispensationalism is like pregnancy. There's no such thing as a little bit of it. And once you start to get into dispensationalism, to be consistent, you go right out the door, you're going to end up with a Bible about as thick as a Kleenex. All right? Now, I'm not trying to be mean or unkind, and you've had some sincere people who maybe have taught you in those principles. Some haven't gone very far into it. Others have gone whole hog wild, become ultra-dispensationalist, and you've got about nine books left in the Bible by the time you're done in the New Testament. So I'm simply saying this to say, if that's where you're coming from, praise God. If that's what you're looking at, praise God. I have no axe to grind. I have nothing to prove. I'm totally relaxed. I'm not indifferent, and I'm not casual. But I have nothing to ramrod on you. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw, not drag, all men to myself. All right? So if it doesn't draw you, that's between you and Jesus. I'm free. I have nothing to ramrod to prove. I'm not on a denominational bender. I say, praise God for whom all blessings flow. And God's people said, yeah, are you with me still? Yes. You're very kind. Thank you. Hang on now. Buckle your seatbelt. We'll go slowly and proceed from there. Now, when we come to salvation, we think of it in three terms, the triune God. All the Trinity had something to do with our salvation. The Father thought it. The Son of God bought it. And the Holy Spirit brought it, applying to us these truths and the work of the cross and the work of the Holy Spirit poured out by our Lord Jesus after his ascension. Jesus said, I'm going to go away and I will send you a comforter. Oh, brother, it didn't comfort me to hear the word Holy Spirit. I got nervous. And I'll send you another comforter. And it's very interesting that uh, another comforter, without being tricky here, uh, but there are two words for other in Greek. One is eteros, the other is alos. And alos means the same as, and eteros means different from. If I took uh, a wine sap apple and I said, here's another apple, it's a wine sap, I'd say, here is a alos, another apple, just like this apple. If I said, here is an apple and here is a, another apple, and it was a pineapple, I would be eteros, something different than and other than. So when the Lord Jesus said, I'm going to send you another comforter, he used the word alas, just like I am. So you're not nervous with Jesus. I wasn't nervous with Jesus. And if I'd known better, I could have known, well, if he's an alas comforter, just like Jesus, then I don't have to be nervous about the Holy Spirit. He's just like Jesus. So may that help to subdue any fears you may have. And I'm not trying to give you a problem. Like, I invented a cure for which there is no disease. How about that one? All right. Think on that one. Thank you, doctor. All right. Now. So I don't want to foment problems you don't have. I'm not going to give you my headache if you don't have it. I'm saying if you're there, I'm with you. God bless and all God's people said. Now, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to live in each believer. Nobody who loves Jesus has a problem with that. You have received the spirit of adoption whereby you can say, Abba, Father God, he's my Father. The Father in heaven is my Father. He has put his spirit in me. Romans 8, 15, and 16. You have received the spirit of adoption. Amen. Yes. Uh, one of my favorite texts, my favorite Christian, Christmas text, Galatians 4, 4 to 6. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of the spirit, born under the law, born of a woman, that he may redeem us who are under the law, that he may give us his own spirit. And therefore, he has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, saying, Abba, Father. 
So the, no one has a problem with this. The Bible is very clear that every child of God has the Spirit of God in him. If he weren't, he wouldn't be a child of God. And that's the great difference. It's an imparted, transplanted life. That's the Christian life. It's not me at my best, not me trying to do better. It's an impartation, transplant life from the Lord Jesus' own life by his spirit into our very spirits so we become living duplexes. You live in there, and he lives in there. So you are all, if you're born of God, a living duplex. And we are never alone and couldn't be alone if you want to get alone because his spirit dwells in our spirits. Now, in these further words of introduction... Uh, <clears throat> proceed to look at the book of Acts which is still valid today if you have questions we can talk about it later and uh, there will be opportunities to answer any questions you may have or questions I may raise in your mind I'll be either available here or in the, in the room for discussion follow up and so forth if we use it and Pastor Mike that's about 101, 102 102, 103 because we're going to be available we're not hit and run people this is not a, a commando attack on your mentality this is a shepherdly approach to people who are seeking the Lord and want to know him better. Now, <laughs> excuse me. Let me say again that the spirit-filled life is normal Christianity. I'm not here to teach some super-duper special edition leather-bound edition of Christianity while the rest of us can be paperbacks. That's not how it goes. What we're talking about is just standard, normal, we're trying to get normal, normal Christianity. And you go to a lot of places where what I'm talking about and will be is, quote, not normal. This is normal. So we're just trying to get normal. I used to say in our churches, we are just trying to be normal here and get up to the spiritual level, which is the beginning. Now, being filled with the Spirit is not graduating as a senior. It's enrolling as a freshman. It's not the end of all things. It's the beginning of many things. It's not the end of all things. It's the beginning of many new things. The marriage ceremony is the beginning of many new things. That's why, you know, I cry at weddings. Uh, because I know what they don't know, okay? <laughs> so being filled with the Spirit is not the end of all things. It's the beginning of many new things. Every Christian is born of the Spirit. But not every Christian is born full of the Spirit. As an ordained Baptist pastor, you could not have had more questions, doubts, and ignorance than I had in coming to know the work of the Holy Spirit. So, I do not set myself up as anyone except a learner, still trying to learn today and press on with God. Having said that, let's now look at the scriptures, the word of the living God. Take this precious, precious gift. Take this precious, precious book. If the Lord Jesus were to appear here this morning, he would say nothing, he could, but he would probably say nothing that wasn't right here already. That's absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. When the man in hell looks up at Lazarus and said, Lazarus, send someone to my five brothers lest they come to this place of torment. Send someone back from the dead. And the answer is, no, even if someone goes back 
from the dead to them, they will not believe, and then the clincher. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And that's not even the New Testament. It is absolutely a shocker to hear the voice from heaven saying, they've got Moses, they've got the Old Testament, and the prophets. That's enough. Whoa! And we've got the bright brilliance of this wonderful New Testament plus the Old Testament. So the great sufficiency of this book is therefore proclaimed by people in heaven and from hell, if you please. It's amazing the man didn't get to be concerned as a soul winner until he went to hell. This is a horrendous thing. A man in hell says, my five brothers! Too late! You get concerned today. Today. Today you start praying. Maybe you already have. It's a terrible thing when a man has to go to hell to have a burden for souls. When Paul says that my heart breaks for my brothers who don't know him. And so as we see these truths, the spirit-filled life is not going to make me a happy little guy in a corner just whittling on wood somewhere. It's going to give me an impetus to continue to find out how he wants you to minister in his name. Please turn to the book of Acts, chapter 22. Paul gives his testimony three times in the book of Acts. This certainly vindicates the uh, use and value of personal testimony. Three times, Acts 9, Acts 22, and Acts 24, he repeats what God did in meeting him. Take a look. Acts 22. And he's defending himself in Jerusalem as he gives this testimony. Verse 1. Brothers and fathers, hear my defense before, uh, before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in, the Hebrew, in Hebrew, they kept all the more silence. Oh, he's one of us. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew. This is Paul speaking. Saul at that point, not converted. Born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this very city of Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel, the number one rabbi in town. The rabbi in town. Taught according to the strictness of our father's laws and was zealous toward God as you all are today. I persecuted this way. And by the way, Christianity was never called Christianity for a long time. It was first called the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So it became the way, and you were followers of the way. That's why Paul refers to it in this way. I persecuted these people who love Jesus, called the way, to death. Now, that's the ultimate. I, I was on their case till their blood was at my feet. And I said, praise Almighty God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're dead. On to the next one. Huh. Is this man a candidate for step up to life? Easy witness coming to hear, yeah? Yeah. Binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. And also the high priest bears me witness and all the council of the elders from whom I received letters to the brethren, the Jewish people up in Damascus, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem, to be punished. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near to Damascus at about noon. Suddenly, a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, sir? And says, who are you, Lord? He didn't know who it was. Otherwise, he wouldn't say, Jesus, who are you, Jesus? He used kurios, a word of respect, as well as the word, the Lord Jesus. But he didn't know who it was. Bang! He gets knocked to his 
to the ground from his feet. Who, 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 who are you, sir? Who are you? And he said to me, perfect historical identification. No false IDs from heaven. This is it, Paul. Straight on. Listen up. I am Jesus of Nazareth, the historical God in the flesh who put his feet in sandals and walked the sandy paths of Jerusalem and the whole of the Holy Land. Historically real, eternally divine, all in one body, all in one person. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, Lord, what shall I do? Now he knows who he is. Lord. Oh, and now we switch from great one to the hated name of Jesus. What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews, he was not a fly-by-night, he was a good Jew who got to be a completed Jew who got to be a converted Jew, which is the end of all men, not just Jews. Having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up and I could see him. Now again, Father, we ask you to give impetus to these truths. I'll make my case this morning by first of all pointing out the evidences of Paul's solid conversion. This is essential. And though I'm taking Paul because everybody kind of knows Paul, everybody trusts Paul, Paul's a good guy, he's not a fly-by-night, we all feel comfortable with Paul. Great place to start. And I want to say, as I continue, that this was the text. This was the text that got me off dead center. And I'll tell you why as I go on. This is the text that as a, 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 a nervous Baptist, I could live with this, but I did not know where it would take me. But I can live with this. Because we all like Paul. Paul, is, he's okay. He's kosher, all right? Now, I want you to take your Bibles. I want you to look at verse 10. And... I want you, and if you won't damage the scriptures, just to put a mark around the whole verse 10. We're going to take some truths out of that verse. Acts 22, verse 10. Put it in a box. And if you've got a little margin at the bottom of your page, you can start to put some of the things I'm going to share with you at this time. We're looking at the evidences of Paul's conversion. The first evidence. So I said, when he, once he found out who was speaking to him, so I said to Jesus, what shall I do, Lord? Lord, what shall I do? Now, he's not in the dark. He knows who he's talking to. He knows it's the Lord Jesus. And he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? First case of evidence. The first word in the Christian life is Lord. That's the first word of the Christian life. Do you understand what happened to Paul when he said that? Do you know there'll be death plots on his life in three days? Do you understand his career went down the drain? All his life he's starting to be a, a big-time rabbi. It's gone. 
all those years of study, all the Talmudic studies, on and on and on. Gone. G-O-N-E. Gone. His wife, if he were married, probably left him. She'd have grounds for divorce. He's a rank, pagan, heretic. Huh. What else can happen? Doesn't this sound delightfully modern? Huh. What did it cost you and me to become a Christian? Not much. Some of you have paid a lot. Not, not for me. What I'm trying to point out to you is when he said, Lord, don't think this was some little flippant term he kind of eased into, like he can work this in on the weekend. When he said, Lord, his former world blew up. Boom! And he started from zero. Career gone life to be threatened on and off the rest of his days. I sat in Peshawar a number of years ago with a young man who had fled from Afghanistan. He was living in a room about, from the platform, about like this. I felt so utterly humbled to be with a man who is risking his life daily just to name the name of Christ. And the missionary who brought me to see him sat there and introduced us. And in our opening brief conversation, he said to me, do you know, he says, uh, uh, I'm not Islamic anymore. Oh, I'm playing just kind of naive, open, simple. Oh, he said, really? Yeah, I never met him before. I said, well, what are you? He said, I'm a Christian now. Oh, I said, you are? You follow Jesus? Oh, yes. He worked in the ear clinic where we were helping to give people who are deaf hearing aids and help. And I had 40 minutes with him. And uh, he was a medical student, had fled down. And in, I, I thought, what's the most I can do for this man? And I in about 10 minutes, try to give him the whole triangle of truth as best I could to help him in his instructions, his way of God. The young man was a great guy, and we left. A few weeks later, I got home. I received word that the enemies of his soul had taken him out to kill him. And because one of the three men who had apprehended him had had his daughter helped at the clinic, they said, well, we won't kill him. We'll just beat him within an inch of his life, and they beat him to a pulp and let him go, and he fled to Russia. And when you're in the presence of people, when they say Jesus is Lord, they could get a, a poison raisin cake in four days in their food and be killed and knocked off. I was humbled. He should, I should have had to pray for me. Now, when Paul said Lord, that's when it began, bungo. The first word of the Christian life is Lord. Now, if you're here today and you're not born again yet, you're not a Christian yet. You come to church, you sing the songs, you like the youth group, etc. That's wonderful. And I sat for 19 years just like that in the back row there. You know, I was respectful. I just had two hopes when I went to church. Hope the sermons were short, the girls were pretty, and that was it, okay? <laughs> That's the, the depth of my spiritual life until I was 19. So if you're sitting out there, I want you to know that 
the first thing that happens to you when you become a Christian is he takes over. And I didn't know all that that meant. I didn't know what it was going to be. But I know one thing. He's in charge and I'm not. Now, the times I've tried to take it over again, I got my hand slapped. I should have. But in your heart, there's a prevailing desire to want to please him. This is the chief mark of a born-again person. You may not be very well informed. You may not be very well taught. But in your heart, there's a prevailing desire to please him. Your performance is not 100%, but your desire is different. Your desire is so different. I want to please him. And when I fall, it grieves me and it grieves him. I could still sin, but I couldn't sin and enjoy it. Not long. I might fall in a mud puddle, but I won't live in a mud puddle. When it grieved him, it grieved me. And I had my ups and downs. But inside was a prevailing difference of the, Lord, of the Lord Jesus and his life. So as we go into the series, I want you to know the first thing we're talking about is if you're not converted, if you're just a good religious guy or a nice little religious girl or whatever else, God loves you, Christ died for you, there's nothing more he can do for you. It's only what you can do in responding to his overtures of loving grace. And this is going to make some of you uncomfortable because when I'm sitting in the church and I'm, in, and I'm not saved and it's, the sermon gets pretty good and the Holy Ghost starts popping little balloons, I didn't like that. I didn't like that. I ran from God twice real hard because he got me into conviction. And I didn't even know what the word was, but I know one thing, that was a bad feeling because it was dragging me to Jesus, drawing me, and I, I didn't want that. So, dear ones, we've all been there. You're among friends. This is a loving place. No one's going to ramrod you. I'm not going to try and do a sales job on you. I'm saying the Lord Jesus be lifted up. He will draw all men to himself. So that's the first thing you settle in this series. Christ is my Lord. He's my Lord and Savior. And I, I don't, I'm not 100% perfect on this thing, but the desire of my heart is. I'm not a perfect husband. I'm not a perfect father. But the desire is to be one. And that's a prevailing desire of my heart. So the Lord takes that, bringing you to himself. All right? And one... First evidence, he calls Jesus Lord at the cost of everything up to and including his own life. Hello. Now, if it's less than that, we're living in Disneyland Christianity in America, and I'm no hero, and I like it here. It's comfortable here. Uh, I like it here. Uh, we, no one's going to stone me if I pass out step up to life at a football game. They're not going to stone me. Thank God. So please don't think I'm trying to put a guilt trip on us. All I'm trying to say is this is biblical Christianity. Anything less than that is the demands out there, is the mercies of God that you're not facing a gun on your head when you become a Christian. Because many places in, America, in, in the world today, as we sit here, there will be a gun on their head, and we know where. Now, there's not a gospel for Iraq and a gospel for, the, for America. There's not a gospel for Afghanistan and a gospel for Omaha. It is the gospel. Lord, what do you want me to do? Somebody say amen. You won't, re- you won't ruin the meeting if you say amen. So that's, that's just, that's, this is Christianity 101. This is entry level. I'm not talking the deeper life, the higher life, the apostolic life. I'm just talking L-I-F-E. This is where it begins. For years, I was a health insurance salesman. Don't want to go to hell, do you? Oh, no. Want to go to heaven? Yeah. Take Jesus. Here we go. Yeah. 90% of those I led to Christ on that basis never got converted. I want to repent for them. I want to believe for them. I didn't want to go to hell. I want to get to believe in Jesus, which more basically meant, do you agree with what I'm saying? Yeah. You want to go to heaven? Yeah. Take Jesus. A few ripe ones got converted, thank God. But I'm trying to say we need to say a little bit more than that to make it clean and square and inform them as much as we can. I find people saved on very little sometimes. The big thing is their lives change, praise God. You can catch their mind up later. 
if they don't have it. The other danger in American churches is that they have head knowledge to hear and the heart hasn't caught up yet. That's where we have step up for life so you can find where you are. Second evidence, Acts 26, 10. Lord, number one, the world came down and his whole new world began. His real world began. His future began. His future began. I mean, as if he became a world traveler, everything else. People named their sons after Paul and Nero, the man that killed them, they named their dogs after Nero. Some difference. Lord, secondly, what do you want me to do? Service and availability. When I became a Christian, I'm available to serve the Lord. What do you want me to do, Lord? I don't know what. I don't know very little, but I'm here. I'm available. All right? Second evidence of his new birth. Number three. What shall I do? Arise and go into Damascus, and it shall be told you what shall be do. Oh, hey, wait, wait a minute. All right, let's not go to Damascus. Get the words out that I'm going to come in like a roaring lion. And if I come in blind, such I am, and taking little steps, number two, and someone's got my hand like I'm a little child trying to find a way, the Christians can come out on the sidewalk and say, ha, 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 look at that. He's about to come in. Oh, ho, ho, look what happened. What's going to happen to my PR? I mean, my image, the polls are going to show this guy is not cool. He's not a danger to the church. And I, Lord, can we, can we make some arrangement to go to some other town? Just at least while I recover my sight. And then I can come into Damascus with a little more <clears throat> aplomb. No way, Jose. Into Damascus as you are, blinded, broken, weak. You're supposed to come in as a lion, but your problem is you've run into the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus, he's going to turn you to a lamb and get the lion out of you. What does he do? Not me, oh God. Oh, no, he said, Lord. And he goes to Damascus. Calls Christ Lord, number one. Number two, service. What shall I do? Number three, obedience. We want to please the Lord. Third evidence of conversion. A prevailing desire to want to do that. Number four. When you get to Acts chapter 9, turn there please. The Lord is speaking to a man named Ananias. And Ananias loves Jesus. And uh, God speaks to him and he listens and he says, Oh, Ananias is here, Lord. What a wonderful response. Ananias, here I am, Lord. So I want you to go and pray for this man called Saul. Oh, not me, Lord. Oh, are these supposed to come up here and tear us apart? Put us in jail? Kill us all? Not me, Lord. Wait a minute. Yes, I know that's what you hear about him. But if you look at Acts 9, verse 13, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he's got authority from the chief priest to bind all that call upon your name, verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he might be, will be, shall be a chosen vessel. No, go, for he, present tense, is, underline it, he is a chosen vessel. The fourth evidence, Christ himself says he is one of mine. Now will be, now shall be, nothing deficient. Paul is the only man we have recorded in scripture with whom our Lord Jesus did personal work from heaven directly and he didn't need five, four spiritual laws or step up to life or anything else. The Lord appeared to him and bingo, he does it right. So Paul's soundly converted, soundly, roundly converted. Fourth evidence, Christ himself, that'd be enough. Christ himself says, 
He is the chosen vessel. Along comes Ananias, who's now over his fear. He comes in. He's, and Paul's been fasting three days. He's still blind as a bat. And Ananias comes in and says, Brother Saul. Don't call me, brother, you dirty good for nothing. I hate you. And if I could get my eyesight back, you'd be in jail before sundown. You hear me? Now, if you want to just say brother by itself, it's kind of a weak argument. But in the context of what I've shown you, Ananias says, you're here. You're my brother. I could go on to tell you that Paul's apostolic call to be an apostle also occurred on the road to Damascus. So there's six incontrovertible evidences of conversion. Wonderful. We all knew that. Okay, now here's where the tire meets the road. And this is what jogged me off dead center and got me going. Is he soundly converted? Is he soundly converted? Thank you. In that case, the Spirit of God is in him, because Paul wrote in Romans 8, 16, uh, he says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We're the, so he's got the Spirit of God in him. Every child of God has the Spirit in him. So why is Ananias sent to this man who is soundly converted, roundly converted, has the Spirit of God in him, and as we see, we've got, he calls him Lord, he's willing to serve, he obeys him by going to Damascus, Christ's own word as he is, he calls him brother, and he's saved. Spirit of God's in him. Now, why does he get Ananias up and travel over to this house? Look at 9.17. And put a square around that verse, please. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me two reasons. Number one that you might receive your sight, because you're not going to be able to do a whole lot of things that I have in mind for you if you're blind. But I just want to get your attention. I got it for three days, fasting and praying, waiting on God. Number two, and that you might, oh, hold the phone. Now he upset my Baptist apple cart. And you might be filled with the Spirit. Now, folks, hold it right there. Do you realize that Paul could have gone to any Bible conference in Jerusalem, Judea, around the world, Omaha, promise keepers, just giving his testimony of how he got saved? That's enough. Just that. And Jesus won't let him out of the house yet. I mean, he's got the... Can you imagine having Lord Jesus talk to you from heaven? And speak to you personally and smite you to the ground and tell you about his love and then leave you for three days blind waiting on God. He's talking to you, talking to you, filling things in. You're just crying. You're bawling your head off of what you've been and what you were and not where you see Christ and all this. And, and you can't say a word outside the building because you're not ready yet. It's a good thing Paul didn't fall in the hands of some Christian promoter. That's all he wouldn't have needed. You, I'll line you up for meetings. We'll put you here, there, and everywhere. Yeah, you will, and you run the guy right out of gas craziest thing in the world. You get some celebrity converted and they put him right out there on the trail. Dumb! Ruin him! Now, if you don't think this man didn't have a full tank at this point of what the Lord meant to him, he is converted. But he can't get out of the house. Jesus won't put him on the trail at all. Until and unless. And they'll send somebody to get it done. Ananias. Go in, lay hands on him. Boom, his sight comes back. Praise God, I can see. Not, one more thing, Paul. You haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost yet. 
I've seen Jesus Christ from heaven. He's talked with me from heaven, and I'm not finished yet. Nope, nope, nope. Can you imagine? Thank God he hadn't been trained against being filled. He had no problem. No, I was trained against him. Now Saved here, road to Damascus, filled here, put the next one on, Brian, three days later. Now, silently converted, and nobody in this room can touch that conversion power. Well, then, the next thing is, how come, because Paul says, Jesus said, you know what, Paul? I've regenerated your spirit. I'm your Lord and Master. Now that I'm your Lord and Master, my spirit lives in you. Now I want to fill your spirit with my spirit. This is normal Christianity. And the problem is, we are abnormal so many of the places. If that's what Paul needed after that conversion, where in the world am I? And if you don't think I sat in that little study, which was a breezeway in the parsonage, and was so cold I had to put boots on and lumberjack shirts to stay warm when I studied in the winter because the wind blew through the place, I'm sitting there trying to fight my way through my Baptist fears and my human ignorance to find out, is this valid? What's this being filled stuff? I'm saved. I know I'm saved. Christ has taken over my life, and I'm going on and serving Jesus, and I'm doing this and that. Hold it, Murdoch. Sit down and look at this for a bit. And this is the text that got me off dead center. Saved, I know. Three days later, good night. I'm about eight years later. And I could not say that I knew I'd been filled. That was the wake-up call to me. Wake-up call. Murdoch, if that's the Apostle Paul, and Paul says, be ye followers of me, where are you? And that began to set me free. I either had to say, at that point, I'm going to tell you something. You have to face two spiritual gems in your Christian life, if you want to go on. Number one, spiritual integrity. And number two, intellectual honesty. And I had to look at that text and say, nah. Or I had to say, well, look what I've been taught. What are my friends going to say? When I started going down this, this path, my, some of my dearest friends said, we're not going off the deep end. And I had to decide, is this in the Bible or not? Now, Murdoch, is it there or not? If it is, you have to look at it and live in compliance with it or, ca- or cash in and get out of here. You've got to make a decision on this thing. You're either going to go up or down according to truth that comes to you. And by his mercy and grace and those that prayed for me, I said, Lord, I see it. I don't understand it all. But I have to adopt the fact that this mighty man of God, Paul, totally converted, now has to have an impartation called the fullness of the Holy Spirit after he already had the Spirit of God in him. The Spirit of God in him now would be the Holy Ghost that came upon him, filling him with the Holy Spirit. And he can't go out of the house until it happens. Isn't that good news? Now, I'm not teaching you anything new that hasn't been taught by the saints of old. It may be coming to you new as it came to me new. And so this is where we are. And you see the whole deal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these dear people. Quicken, Lord, what I cannot quicken, which is nothing. You do it all. Now, may they respond, not to me, but to you. And as they do their homeworks today, this week, let them see from the Word of God, not from Murdoch's sermon, but from the Word itself, that this is what you have in mind for every single child of God. For all those who don't know you yet, may they say the first word, Lord Jesus, Lord, and then proceed 
Think of every heart here. May none feel condemned, but only drawn. Not pushed back, but pulled upward. May they see the potential that will be theirs that you have for them and in them. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I've laid a foundation this morning, and I'm going to be right here after the service. If you have any questions, I'd be glad to meet with you. We're going to be here for three more Sundays, so we're not going to go away. And I want you now, if you have any questions, to come up, and we'll try and answer them. Meanwhile, you're not... For some of you, this is going to be a life-changing experience because these truths would like change your life and make your life different from this point on. To that end, I pray. Pastor Mike. Change the plans quickly. Rather than come up here and meet Pastor, if you want to talk with him, go to room 102, 103, down that hallway or this hallway. He'll be there visiting because we're going to hold a business meeting in here briefly while they're getting set up for the picnic. If you're visiting, we'd love to invite you to stay and join us for the picnic. We have plenty of food. Just going to be a good time just sitting around fellowshipping and, and having a great time, okay? Uh, so if you're wanting to go see, visit Pastor in that room, get up and leave now, and Pastor will meet you back there, okay? And then those who need to pick up your kids, we want to encourage you to do that real quick because the workers are not going to hold on to them for a long time. And then if I can have Mark Bess and uh, Tim come up to kind of run the quick business meeting. This business meeting is concerning building. As you can tell, we're out of space. I was up there earlier. There's 40 to 50 people upstairs in the overflow room. Uh, so we're going to figure out something to do. And that's what we're going to talk about. We want questions to come. Tim's going to give you a brief rundown. Mark's going to give you some information. Then I think we're going to talk. Then I'll talk for a second or two. And then we'll go out and eat. Thanks, Mike. I just saw the, the numbers there. 490 people here today. We have about... Yes, hallelujah. We have about 450 seats in here, so that works out about right with the 40 head count upstairs. Wanted to give you just a, a short overview, kind of bring everyone up to date as to a lot of the things that have been going on lately and the, the uh, plans we've been looking at, uh, the need for, for growth or the, or the need for additional space is certainly there. That's been obvious for a while for us for quite some time. Uh, we've had a, a very good building committee that has been active. They've been working, looking at alternatives. And right up front, I just want to say, uh, we have not made any concrete decisions about what we will do at this point. You know, there, there's questions out there. Do we build? Do we go to two services? Do we do this? Do we maybe even look at a different location? That sort of thing. We've been exploring all those options, okay? Some of that's in the handout that we've passed out this morning. And so I'm going to let uh, Pastor Tim kind of cover some of the th options that we've been looking at. Uh, after he does that, we'll have a few minutes for some questions and answers, and then we'll be able to get you outside and out to the picnic very quickly. Thanks, Mark. If you did not receive one of these sand handouts where 